Hi there, you're listening to the next episode of Globalcast, the podcast series of Campus Friesland, University of Groningen. It's been a while, but we're back with a very interesting topic and guests. And I'm warning you, get yourself a comfortable seat, or even better, take a nice walk and plug in your headphones, because the next 45 minutes are going to be fascinating and innovating. Today we will talk about voice technology. Is it just a toy from Google, Amazon and Apple? Or is it serious business and a very important tech tool in the future for our daily use? At Campus Friesland, we contribute to one of the fastest growing sectors with a new and unique Master of Science program about voice technology. In this episode of Globalcast, we will have a quick dive into this booming business and its field of research with the two experts, Matt Kohler and Esther Klobbers. Both my guests will introduce themselves first. Hi, well, uh, thanks a lot for the invitation to participate in this podcast. I'm really psyched for the opportunity to talk more about voice technology and share with uh, your audience a little bit about what we're doing at Campus Friesland. But maybe the best way to start might be with a brief overview of uh, who's the person behind the voice you're hearing now. Uh, That's me, Matt Kohler. I'm an American. Uh, You can tell already by my accent. If you can tell that, then you can already perform voice recognition, which is a big part of what we'll be talking about today, at least on the automatic sense. Uh, anyway, I'm an American. I have a PhD in linguistics from the Free University of Amsterdam, the Free University of Amsterdam. Uh, I've been here for about, uh, well, over 10 years now in the Netherlands. Uh, I, I did my PhD here. Then I did a postdoc here. And then um, I did something a bit unusual and I joined the private sector. I went to a startup working on AI and uh, augmented hearing and bionics. Um, but after a little while, after about five years there, I went back to the university and I didn't just go back to a typical faculty where, you know, faculty of linguistics or of uh, some traditional field, but I went to a faculty with a kind of opaque name, which I guess your audience might know already, and that's the faculty of Campus Friesland. Campus Friesland, of course, is a very interdisciplinary faculty, and a lot of our programs there wouldn't exist to other faculties because they don't fit the, the traditional mold. Um, and, uh, well, I, I joined there. I started up a research group, which we call a flagship group in culture, language, and tech. I supervise a bunch of PhD students on all kinds of voice tech and cultural and linguistic issues. Oh, there's, of course, a siren going by now. Yes, hopefully you don't hear it. Um, and uh, I, 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 so I supervise a bunch of PhD students there for, uh, on topics ranging from voice tech to uh, cultural issues to uh, linguistic content and so on. But... Um, my other duties include uh, acting as an associate professor of language and technology and directing the voice tech master's program, which just recently got accredited uh, thanks to the development team and all of the support I've received at the faculty. Um, together with Esther, who will introduce herself in a second, it's also interesting to note that one of those PhD students I mentioned, uh, we co-supervise. And that's one interesting aspect of what Campus Friesland does is we don't just work internally in academia, you know, inward facing we connect very openly and uh, productively with members from the private sector and from industry. And well, that's why I'm very happy to let Esther introduce herself. Uh, Esther, take it away. Thank you, Matt. And thank you for the invitation for this podcast. I'm really excited to um, talk with you about uh, our collaboration and about ReadSpeaker, where I work. Um, Let me quickly talk about where I'm from. Uh, So I grew up in the Netherlands. I I uh, got my bachelor's degree in Nijmegen with the 
uh, track called uh, Taalspraak en Informatica, uh, which no longer exists at this time. Uh, but it was a um, bachelor's degree that combined lots of different aspects of um, computer speech and language, uh, including automatic speech recognition, text-to-speech synthesis, um, uh, natural language processing, and so on. And after that, I did my PhD in Eindhoven at the then uh, IPO, Institute for Perception Onderzoek, or Institute for Perception Research, which also no longer exists. Um, and it was a collaboration between the TU Eindhoven and uh, Philips. And after that, I decided to move to the United States uh, for a postdoc position uh, at Oregon Health and Science University at the Center for Spoken Language Understanding. And I became an assistant professor there until 2014. And then I decided to um, branch out and move back to the Netherlands for a while. And that's when I joined Reed Speaker as a speech scientist. Um, and so my role at, at um, Reed Speaker is to uh, develop... Um, new text-to-speech technologies for all kinds of languages. And um, ReadSpeaker has been um, in the market for about 20 years already with text-to-speech solutions. Um, at first, we were mostly uh, reading web pages. So if you look at a lot of um, websites from Gemeentes or uh, the Belastingdienst or the OV, um Chipcard, those kind of Dutch websites, there is a, a read me or a listen button on the website that you can click. And then as soon as you do that, it will read out the text uh, to you using our text-to-speech technology. And so the last few years, there's a, a lot going on. Um, as you mentioned, there's like Alexa and um, Google Assistant and that sort of thing. And so those are more of a um, personal assistant type of application and that requires a different type of uh, text-to-speech synthesis that's not so static and red, but it's more uh, conversational. And so uh, some of the things that I'm working on right now is we are uh, collaborating in this EU program called COBRA. It's called Conversational Brains. And uh, starting in January, we will have a PhD student at ReadSpeaker who will work on creating a conversational text-to-speech voice um, yeah, in this project. And so, yeah, uh, also I would like to uh, work more generally with uh, universities, and that's how we got in touch with Matt. And, um, yeah, <laughs> in that way we can um, improve our, our technology and learn from academia, and academia can... Uh, get our help with students and um, uh, maybe some guest teaching and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's a it's a really it's a it's a super collaboration and there's a lot of good opportunities here. I mean, what makes our master's program, which I'll talk about in a second, unique is that from the very start we involved experts from academia, of course, and scholars, but also from industry. So people like Esther uh, at ReadSpeaker, as well as colleagues at the big Silicon Valley companies and smaller startups and everybody in between. Uh, we took their advice and uh, we uh, engineered a program that would deliver really a high quality scientific content, but in such a way that graduates could compete for jobs once they once they complete their degree and uh, and deliver interesting and exciting innovation. So 
uh, we made sure that there's a kind of a close connection between the private sector and academia here. And voice tech is a really great playground uh, from which we can exploit a productive relationship. After this introduction, I, it might be clear that I'm having uh, this online conversation with two people who are totally devoted to this topic. And I can imagine that the audience, just like me, is interested in the history of voice technology. Where does it stand? Where does it come from? And what will it bring us in the future? Maybe one of you can explain it a bit more so I don't feel like a total no-no anymore. Um, okay, maybe I can uh, talk a little bit about that. So basically voice technology is a um, combination of a few different technologies. Uh, so we already talked about text-to-speech synthesis, which is when you convert uh, written text to speech using some kind of uh, computer algorithm. Um, the opposite of text-to-speech is also called ASR, or Automatic Speech Recognition, or some people call it STT, uh, speech-to-text. Uh, so that's, yeah, you speak and then the computer interprets what you say and translates it to text. And in many applications, you, you will need both in order to form a dialogue with a computer or a robot. And in that case, uh, not only do, do you have to speak and translate it to text, but then you also have to understand the text, which is called natural language understanding. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you have a dialogue system that has to figure out what it needs to say in return to that message that makes sense. So that's called dialogue management. And then it needs to formulate a message called natural language generation. And that then goes to the text-to-speech. So if you're talking to uh, Alexa or your Google Assistant, um, that is all that is going on at the same time. Try You say something, it picks it up, it has to figure out what you said and how it can best respond. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't and say, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, to me, it sounds like these functions of voice technology are more and more responding and interacting like a real brain. It all has to function in real time with the fewest errors and miscommunication. So voice tech is not only interesting for professional business, like you said, but also for research. And that might be the reason that Campus Friesland started with a master program recently. Am I right, Matt? Yep, there is. And it's just been recently accredited, uh, just last month. Um, and I should say, not only was it accredited by the Dutch uh, Flemish educational authorities, but it was accredited without any corrections, which is, I think, relatively unusual. So they, they, they of course, have a very rigorous uh, evaluation process, and a lot of preparation went into that. And in the end, uh, they said, nope, just as it is, it's perfect. We really believe in it. And uh, you can start recruiting right away, which was pretty much music to our ears. It was a ton of work putting this together, but I think it all paid off when, when we got accredited. So right now we're actively uh, recruiting our first cohort of students. But maybe if you permit me, it's a nice time to tell you a little bit more about the program, connecting to what Esther said about how voice tech works. Uh, it's a great lens through which we can understand the program. So look, the program crucially is a one-year program. And the idea behind that, it's worth saying, is that most of our students uh probably who graduate the program, while some will get a PhD, many will just go right to industry afterwards. So we thought a one-year program is a very nice and efficient path from undergraduate studies to acquiring a Master of Science. The fact that it's one year means it's pretty fast-paced, it's pretty intense, it's really hands-on, uh, it's very active, uh, by, by which I mean not per se that there's a lot of homework, 
but that there's a lot of class activity and there's a lot of learning. There's not a single day that's spent kind of uh, reflecting on uh, something you read the day before, but we're always, we're moving pretty quick in all the classes. And that makes it a really dynamic and I think fun environment. Um, the first thing to know about the program is that it's really interdisciplinary, which means that the program is not populated entirely by computer science, uh, bachelor students, programmers, or AI specialists, although they'll be there. But we'll, but there will also be experts in linguistics, um, uh, maybe even digital humanities, and people from other disciplines for whom voice tech uh, is is interesting and appealing, and who are committed to uh, to, to this uh, intensive program. Um, and those though that interdisciplinarity, I think, is a big benefit because what we, what we see in industry is that uh, a lot of the biggest challenges which are faced by these, these even the biggest tech companies are not solvable with just recourse to one domain. So we believe that really innovation can arise more easily if uh, different people with different backgrounds using their respective expertise can work together productively. Okay. Yeah, and if I may jump in there, Matt, um, I think uh, for me as someone coming from an academic background and now working in industry, um, I've really noticed um, the benefit of of having this kind of program for for students in our hiring process as well. Um, we hired uh, some people recently that had a master's degree from uh, the University of Edinburgh, where they have uh, a little bit similar program. Um, but I think the Netherlands is big enough um, in the technology field-wise that, that it could really use um, this kind of uh, educational track. And, and I'm really excited that... Um, you guys are going to be offering this. Yeah. I should mention that the people at Edinburgh, uh, of course, we work very closely with them too. So mm -hmm. the right. program director, Simon King, is is also on their advisory board. And we mm -hmm. have, you know, of, of course, there's some overlap, but there's some important differences too. Namely that we focus only on the speech recognition and the speech synthesis side of the equation. So students really get that solid expertise, so to speak, in how to talk to uh, the Siri or Alexa device. And how to mm -hmm. make the device talk back, right? That's a big simplification. Yeah, it gives it gives the, the main idea. And maybe if I can say something briefly about that, because Esther, you did a great job of summarizing uh, voice uh, technology earlier with the analogy of uh, of an Alexa or a Google Home or a Siri device. But I think it's nice. Maybe we, you and I both can dive in a little bit deeper because mm -hmm. I don't want to give the audience the impression that uh, voice tech is only about smart speakers, right? It's much, much more right. Than that. So if we look, so the first half of the equation, uh, so to speak, is speech recognition. So how does the smart speaker or device uh, recognize human speech? And that technology behind speech, uh, between ASR, automatic speech recognition, is not just about how to optimize a conversation with uh, a, a virtual assistant or a smart speaker, but it can be used in all kinds of other applications like diagnostics, right? So we have a PhD student right now working on ways to recognize disease from voice, uh, you can imagine security applications and potential there to recognize, for example, the same speaker, to recognize if somebody is a, producing a deep fake or if it's an authentic uh, a human voice produced by the individual in question. Um, and you can also imagine addressing challenges that involve uh, uh, products for audiences to whom smart speakers usually don't work. So, for example, if you know somebody who's elderly, you might have noticed they have very significant troubles communicating with a smart speaker. Uh, because their voice uh, doesn't phonate in the same way that a younger person's voice does. 
And you might Matt, think, can well, I ask something? Because yeah. is, can you uh, compare uh, a voice with maybe a fingerprint somewhere? Yeah, and it's a it's a great question, right? Uh, I think that there's a lot of interest in developing uh, the uh, technique to make sure that that there's no uh, uh, that somebody's not pretending to be somebody else. In this era of deep fakes, you can imagine a very simple scenario. You know, imagine an investment banker uh, working late at night. He gets a phone call from somebody who sounds like his boss and says, "Hey, listen, transfer two hundred thousand dollars to you know account X. Uh, it has to be done right away. There's an urgent issue at hand." Uh, or, you know, even a smaller level scam to somebody's grandmother or parents or something where they say, hey, this is your son. Uh, I need you to uh, transfer some money for me right away. Um, and I have to go. Goodbye. Uh, that right now, it, actually, it's very possible to make such a deep fake uh, on the fly. But it's also possible to detect it. Right. And there's a kind of mm -hmm. arms racing as these things go uh, between the two. And it's important that that university researchers are involved with, I think, addressing concerns like that, especially in an era of fake news. But before before we go down this route, I just wanted to finish what I was saying about uh, speech recognition. So that was one side of the equation of how speech recognition is not just about talking optimally to uh, to a smart speaker, but about all kinds of other high social impact uh, uses, use cases. On the other hand, uh, the speech synthesis is not just about producing synthetic voices that kind of delight us, which is of course cool and, and fun and important, but there's great social impact involved with those voices. For example, with people who can no longer speak owing to uh, having some kind of throat or mouth cancer uh, or other diseases, neurodegenerative diseases that impact their ability to articulate properly. Um, people who have, suffer from really serious stuttering or from other uh, 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 issues that prevent clear communication over the phone, for example, voice that can come in there. Uh, you can also imagine uh, uh, synthetic voices that can produce human-like language in different languages besides the big ones, besides, you know, English, Spanish, uh, French, etc. but also in, for example, minority languages like Frisian, as the case may be, but also um, understudied languages or lesser documented languages. Uh, that's also an important resource for people learning those languages or studying them or working to preserve them. Uh, are producing uh, tools for the blind to be able to hear text being read to them in a reliable way. You know, if you look at the state of the art right now, and uh, uh, Esther, please correct me if there's something new on the, in this front, but in most cases, listening to a synthetic voice read long passages is very annoying, right? If you've ever had Siri yeah. email to you, you don't think, well, if it could only go on longer, you think <laughs> after, <laughs> yeah, this is probably enough. Uh, so I think that synthetic voice has a long way to go to make it a really human-like uh, 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 approximation of speech such that it's not irritating to listen to it. And part of the reason is that synthetic voices don't have very many human-like qualities, which is as much a good thing as it is a bad thing, right? So all of the hesitations I make that probably irritates our listeners with my mispronunciations and inarticulate pauses and when I have to breathe or swallow to finish my sentence – the device, uh, synthetic voice doesn't do that, but maybe if it did, at least sometimes have more human-like qualities. For example, the way I emphasize a word as I just did, you know, when I said sometimes, or when I lengthen the R and or when I think of the next thing, if it had these characteristics that give our language and our communication a kind of emotional content or a realistic approximation of meaningful interaction, uh, those voices would be uh, something easier to listen to and something more easy and natural to engage with. So there's a lot of room for serious development beyond just making a better Alexa, which is not at all, I think, what we're trying to do in the program. 
in part, I think that's important, but we really think beyond, far beyond the existing tech into what voice tech as a field could really contribute to social causes and to improving the quality of life of humankind. Yeah, I agree. And I think I just mentioned that because everybody has heard of those kind of personal assistants and they have become part of everyday life for, for many people. Um, but yeah, you are right. There are many other um, applications out there today uh, that require uh, more advanced uh, ways to deal with the speech and to figure out ways to make the communication more natural and work for everybody. Uh, as you were saying, with elderly people, it can can be hard. Or with second language learners, they may have a hard time being understood. Um, children, we don't really know still <laughs> how to uh, recognize children's voices as well as we know uh, how to recognize adult voices. And the same goes for synthesis. Um, but I'll talk a little bit more about that in a, in a minute. And like we said, also for speakers of under-resourced languages. So, you know, for right. a very nice example. Yeah. Uh, these devices, you know, the, the market products right now will recognize easily English. But if you speak to your uh, Siri or Alexa with a Dutch accent, you may have noticed that it's not as uh, impressive as it might be when a Native American speaker, especially one from California or the region where the products were developed, uh, speaks to it. And uh, the reason that that works that way is not because of some limitation of the technology per se, it's a limitation of the ideas that went behind selling products with the maximum return on investment. And at the university, we're liberated from that kind of uh, uh, product-oriented thinking and free to look at what approaches could actually improve the quality of life for the most people uh, or for under uh, for underserved people. Uh, to give them not better customer experiences, but better personal experiences and an improved uh, quality of life. And that's very much aligned with the vision of our faculty uh, uh, starting uh, addressing to uh, addressing uh, global problems with local solutions. What I learned by listening to your stories about voice technology so far is that in research as well as in professional business, the possibilities for the use of voice technology are immense and still developing. Like Matt was just saying, the approach of research is quite multidisciplinary. Esther, is that comparable for you, uh, for the business you're in at ReadSpeaker? Yeah, so as I mentioned in the uh, introduction, I work for ReadSpeaker. Um, we are a worldwide company, and a few years ago we merged together with some other companies, and um, our overarching company now is called Hoya. Uh, we have offices in South Korea and the Netherlands and Sweden that do a lot of the uh, research and development work. And then we have a lot of sales offices all over the world in the U.S., um, in, uh, all over Europe and Japan and Australia and so on. So um, let me talk a little bit about the applications of um, the ReadSpeaker text-to-speech software. Uh, we not only create text-to-speech voices for many different languages, but we also offer... Um, solutions that uh, integrate with different platforms. Um, I already mentioned the um, the government websites that um, have the ability to be read aloud with our text-to-speech, uh, but we also offer um, uh, in education platforms. Many universities have an online learning system where students can um, go online and read papers, uh, read websites, make notes, and so on. And so for all of these different um, uh, 
systems like Canvas or Blackboard, uh, we have integrations that um, universities can choose to subscribe to and that can actually help students uh, to learn better because some students are better at um, disseminating information when they hear it versus when they read it. And another uh, interesting fact about that is that when you're uh, using this um, this application to read text for you, it also highlights the text. Mm -hmm. So it also shows you exactly where you are in the text so that if you have trouble reading or if it's not your uh, native language, uh, by following along and seeing the, the words on the page, uh, it might be a little bit easier to follow as well. Um, then some other applications are um, uh, training modules, like there are companies who would like to train their employees to learn something, and they will um, they will use our text-to-speech tool to create these videos. And the advantage is that you can always change a slide in your video or change some content, and then all you have to do is recreate the <clears throat> text-to-speech message uh, and put it back in the video. You don't have to go back into the studio to record, um, that sort of thing. <clears throat> and then uh, in the Netherlands, we have some uh, really fun um, uh, new applications. So one of the things we released recently is a custom voice for uh, bull.com. Mm -hmm. And so we have, uh, our sales team has communications with different companies who are interested in, in uh, developing a custom voice that is unique to their company and that represents their brand. And so they can always come to us and say, hey, uh, can't you record a voice for us? And uh, we say, sure. <laughs> and then we go and look for a voice talent that would match their their brand. And uh, we try to create a really good it's sounding human voice. voice. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it's not synthetic, indeed. <laughs> it is synthetic, yes. But yeah. every so one thing that that is good to note is when you create text to speech voices, um, you have to do certain things. It's still always based on human speech. Yeah. So in the past, we used to have a method called unit selection synthesis, where we recorded uh, many hours of speech from a professional voice talent, <clears throat> and then we. Uh, label all the uh, sounds in, in these uh, recordings uh, to make sure that we could um, figure out exactly what was said. And then when you synthesize a new message, you have to translate the text to these sounds or phonemes and look up in the unit selection synthesis where you can find portions of audio that match those phonemes. And with the unit selection synthesis, all you do is you find these units and you put them all together to form the new utterance. And so the longer the stretch of speeches that you can find, the fewer cuts you're making. And so you try to create speech that is as natural and free of glitches as possible. Now, in the last um, <clears throat> excuse me, five years or so, uh, people have moved away from unit selection synthesis because it's really very inflexible yeah. and if you're trying to make the speech sound more natural or you try to introduce a different speaking style or yeah those kind of things uh, then you would have to record many more hours of speech and so that's why now we're working with neural networks 
where we train a network in the computer to to train a mapping between the input phonemes and a, an acoustic representation of the speech. And the advantage of that is that you can uh, create models that don't just represent that one speaker, but you could introduce multiple speakers in your training set, and then you indicate when you're training uh, which audio is from which speaker. Uh, you could even do this with multiple languages, and that is the the voice demo that I uh, that we will play here shortly. Um, and the advantage of um, this multilingual synthesis is one: you could create a synthesis of one speaker who could speak multiple languages. Um, this could be really useful for a company that um, has worldwide offices, but they want to have a custom voice to represent them and be able to speak all these languages. Um, the other um, advantage is you could easily create uh, a, a voice for a new language, such as Frisian. Uh, if you don't have a lot of data available from that language, you could augment it with data from other languages to still create a robust model that will generate speech uh, of good quality. And you could easily um, work on, on different speaking styles or, or different emotions or uh, different dialects even, like Gronings or Limburgs or that sort of thing. Um, so there, there's a lot more possible in, in that framework. And that's one thing that's happening all over the world right now with, with speech synthesis. And... Uh, yeah, that's something that, that really is uh, useful for the voice tech program as well. Like Esther just announced, we will now listen to a demo of multilingual synthesis. So one voice, a native British woman, is used in two other languages. Hello, this is your personal banking assistant. I noticed that two £50 transactions were processed on your Visa card today, à la même heure, par le magasin en ligne. Si vous avez bien effectué ces deux transactions, veuillez ignorer ce message. Als u deze transacties niet zelf heeft gedaan, zeg dan antwoord en ik help u verder. Okay, so this demo shows a multilingual uh, example of our TTS voices, uh, where we actually recorded different speakers uh, in their own language and we are able to create speech in languages that they did not actually speak. Um, this is really nice to be able to have one voice uh, that matches a customer's brand, for instance, speak in multiple languages, and we can even switch languages mid-sentence. So, for instance, you could have an English-speaking voice uh, pronounce a French movie title uh, with a native French uh, pronunciations to make it sound uh, really good. And I just wanted to take a, a second to uh, thank some of my Read Speaker colleagues who have been instrumental in this. Um, first of all, uh, Marcel de Corte, who has had the brilliant idea to implement this uh, multilingual model. And then also uh, my colleagues Jaebok Kim and Woon-Sook Jun uh, for implementing it in our text-to-speech system. And it's all about teamwork, so <laughs> I'm really happy uh, that we have such a great team that can 
work on uh, these kind of exciting projects. To me, this sounds like there is still a lot to explore in speech synthesis, not only in the near future, but it seems an ongoing process. Matt, you already told us there is a collaboration between you and Esther for a research project in which you were supervising. Can you tell us a bit more about it? Sure, I'll jump in. And, and Esther, please interrupt me. Esther and I, uh, together with our colleague Jaska Dijkstra, have been supervising a, a really cool project together. Um, this is a project that was uh, is being performed by, uh, believe it or not, a fellow from Vietnam who came up to work on the synthetic voice for Frisian. Uh, that tells you a few things. It tells you how interesting, kind of from a scientific perspective, voice tech is. And it tells you a little bit about its international uh, visibility of, uh, of, of the puzzles that face voice tech now and the relevance not just for local communities, uh, but internationally. So we're working on a very uh, compelling project that just got started. So there isn't much to say. We would have liked to have given a demo, but maybe if you invite us back next year, uh, we can invite uh, Fat, Fat Do, who's the PhD student in question, to, to demonstrate uh, the synthetic voice he's working on for Frisian. So uh, the title of his PhD is a little bit cumbersome, but I'm going to just say it verbatim to give you an idea of some of the keywords and ideas kind of that that uh, that scaffold the voice synthesis field. So the title of the PhD is called Sequence to Sequence Text-to-Speech Models of Multiple Adjacent Languages as an Approach to Speech Synthesis for Under-Resourced Languages. Okay, that doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, uh, but not many dissertation titles do. Uh, don't let the jargon bore you. Uh, this is really fun stuff. So it's a big puzzle on how to make synthetic voices for languages for which there are not much recorded data, right? So in most cases, if you want to make a great synthetic voice like there is for English already, uh, you need many hours from many speakers in many different contexts uh, of recordings. Uh, and to get those uh, recordings, you might pay somebody. This can cost big money. Or you might uh, use freely available speech, but you know, there's a number of difficulties uh, involved in that. But for minority languages, uh, or let's say uh, under-resourced languages like Frisian, those resources just don't exist. And there isn't a budget uh, to pay a professional to uh, provide us with that data, and nor is there time to do so. Uh, and even if there were both of those things, there's a nice scientific puzzle and how to do it without them, because uh, there might be use for other languages which have similar uh, lack of resources that we might want to make a synthetic voice for. And what we want to do is test different, a particular way to do it, make sure it works, and then uh, share that with a broader community to allow others who work with minoritized languages or under-resourced languages to produce synthetic voices themselves. So uh, this is really a speech synthesis puzzle, uh, and it addresses a, a, an important social issue. So you might think, well, who cares about uh, synthetic Frisian? Uh, synthetic voice for Frisian? And the answer is probably not a lot of people, but it doesn't mean it's not important. So just because Google or Amazon or any of the other big companies probably will never make a, a Frisian synthetic voice doesn't mean that it's not necessary. So you can imagine a number of scenarios. I talked about some earlier where people might have, for example, lost the ability to speak naturally and need a, a synthetic voice themselves. Or you can imagine scenarios where um, Internet of Things related objects might need to communicate to, uh, to individuals who speak Frisian, uh, especially in a scenario of, uh, of an elderly uh, uh, smart home, which might seem a bit outlandish right now, but uh, I believe that whether you like it or not, that's the way things are moving. Uh, and uh, the, 
the need for synthetic voice for uh, minoritized language, I think it's, it's pretty clear, not from a market perspective per se, but from a, a quality of life or, or social impact perspective, there, there's definitely something there. Um, so like I said, the current techniques rely on a lot of data. We're exploring, or FAD is exploring, a, a technique that doesn't rely on as much data. And I think the kind of really interesting, potentially for your audience, uh, aspect of this is the way it's going to work is, okay, of course, there are some Frisian recorded data, which we get from um, audiobooks, uh, but that's augmented with data from other languages. So this approach is, uh, in some ways, hasn't been uh, explored yet for minoritized languages of using, of augmenting a, a smaller data set in one minoritized language with uh, recordings from other languages of the world to produce something that not only can speak in a way that's recognizably Frisian, but do so in a realistic and uh, convincing way. Uh, Esther, did that, is there anything I should have added to that description? I don't think so. <laughs> um, yeah, you're right. I, I do think it, there is some uh, interest in this for, for other languages as well. Um, for instance, I know there are many Indian languages that really would like to have text-to-speech for their language, and they just don't have the resources uh, to create text-to-speech um, systems for those languages. And so this would be a, a good solution for them as well. Um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see, okay, how, how is this going to work? Um, what kind of languages re would really help uh, to create a good quality Frisian TTS? Um, and how much data would you need? Uh, of Frisian to, to get a good system? Um, what is the effect of using audiobooks for creating a text-to-speech voice? Will it sound weird if you use it uh, to read something else or, or to talk to people? That sort of thing. Yeah. It's just, there are lots of interesting research questions there that it's really uh, wide open. Explore. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's super fun. And as, as, as Esther says, it's a really nice combo of like, profound scientific intellectual questions with kind of applied product development related kind of practical questions. Uh, and that's, I think mm -hmm. what makes the project so compelling and it's going to be really fun to see what comes out. And one important takeaway is that, well, the output of, uh, of FOTS research will be of course the dissertation, but also the synthetic voice and that synthetic voice will be open access, freely available. And the method we use to develop it, will be able to be shared with uh, other communities and, and language activists and people working on language documentation and description and developing uh, uh, voice tech tools for minoritized or under-resourced languages uh, because we'd like those who want to be able to replicate our research to do so and to add to the current uh, selection of, uh, of languages which have a synthetic voice, not just a robotic one, but hopefully a realistic and, uh, a realistic and compelling one that's able to produce a range of uh, emotional content. Uh, so it's, it's exciting. It's, as, I, as I said, it's really just in the very beginning phase of the research. But well, so far, uh, Fat is a really impressive fellow. He's delivered some exciting uh, first steps. And we're, we're, we're all sitting tight to wait and see uh, how this develops. And I think we have really high hopes for what's going to happen in the years ahead. I'm probably not the only one who's impressed about the things you both told me so far about voice technology. And I promise that after this podcast, I will not call myself a total no-no anymore. Am I right if I say that voice technology will have a huge impact on computer science in the next years or decade? And can one of you maybe give a small glimpse of the future? 
yeah, if we talk a little bit about what we expect in the next five to 10 years in voice tech and uh, what are kind of our our hopes and for the future, I would say that uh, there would be more of an emphasis on creating uh, human experiences and trying to create more natural uh, conversations between computers and humans and using um, uh, both ASR and text-to-speech for for this purpose. So from the text-to-speech perspective, I would say we're going to look at um, creating a more conversational reading uh, or a conversational style, uh, like uh, Matt was saying, uh, okay, would it help to have um, uh, little filler words or filled pauses or laughs or that sort of thing? And can you uh, synthesize these convincingly? Um, another thing that is really uh, common to talk about these days is the uh, phenomenon of vocal alignment. So if you're talking to someone, oftentimes you adapt your speech to the person you're talking to. And can you somehow make the computer do that as well to create a more natural dialogue with someone? Uh, maybe you need to slow the speech down when you're talking to an elderly person. Or you need to change uh, the mood a little bit. If someone is really sad, you don't want the TTS to sound super upbeat because that might be uh, off-putting or yeah, not helpful to the communication. Things like that. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think that there's a ton of big innovations that are you know, on the horizon. And I think that, that one of the, I think, most compelling takeaways is that the keyboard is a mechanism to interact with devices, be it with your iPad, tablet, uh, with your computer, with your phone, or with your smart home, et cetera, is kind of a thing of the past, right? Soon enough, we'll be interacting, not in all cases, but in many more cases than we do now with our voice. And you can see this beginning to happen a little bit, but you know the current tech is is kind of limited. You know what you can do with just your voice on your phone or with Alexa, it's a bit of a, a gimmick still. But the future is going to be pretty profound. I I, su I suppose that uh, we'll see the end of this heads down, hunched over typing experience that we all know so well, and much more heads up, uh, interactive, conversational, just like Esther just said. Uh, in discussion with our devices to deliver services and uh, improve our quality of life in ways that we probably have a hard time imagining right now. I mean, when you think of uh, uh, voice tech right now and, and, and your home smart speaker, you know, it can do a few things. It can recognize basic commands. It can adjust the lighting or change the channel on your TV or, or and so on. But really, that's just the tip of the iceberg. I think what we're looking at is a future with less screens and more distributed intelligence. So this is now really kind of projecting into the far future uh, where people query uh, knowledge, make requests, uh, uh, consume services through their voice. Um, and, you know, we can debate whether or not that's a good or bad thing for humanity, uh, but I think that it looks like that's the way things are going. Uh, ethical concerns are serious ones, especially with voice and privacy. Um, you know, of course, text has some ethical concerns, but voice is a little bit more intimate. I should mention that our Voice Tech Master's program has as a theme uh, ethics, by the way. So we are very concerned about making sure the next generation of innovators has really strong uh, ethical considerations. I think Voice Tech will have a big place uh, in the future of uh, care homes for the elderly, where um, there might be, as we all know, a, a shortage of, uh, of facilities and of dedicated nursing staff to 
provide basic services to elderly people or to provide company with them. That's you know awful, but better than nothing might be voice tech, which could, for example, remind them to take medication, could help them uh, throughout their day providing uh, reminders to uh, stay in contact with actual human beings, to make a phone call, could facilitate uh, simple dialogue, maybe even run some diagnostics on voice, uh, on their health from their voice, et cetera. So really the future is wide open for this stuff, just as uh, nobody could have predicted the full impact of smartphones, uh, you know, a couple dozen years, a couple dozen years ago. Uh, I think the same for voice tech. It's it's going to have a similar far reaching, high impact change in uh, how we interact with one another and with our computers and uh, really disguise the limits. So I think there's a ton of stuff that we can't really even properly imagine. And just like Esther said, these really realistic human-like synthetic voices that maybe have a, can express emotional content, but maybe also can whisper or can sing or can help people uh, practice choir or can uh, uh, have a sense of humor and convey sarcasm or nuance and so on. All of this is just about to become technologically feasible and convincing. Uh, and I think the graduates of our uh, Voice Tech Master's program will really contribute to pushing forward the cutting edge of, uh, of this really broad and important and high impact new field. Great. So there's still a lot to explore Definitely. together. Definitely. Yes, absolutely. If you're interested in exploring that and then joining the program and learning more, you can just go to uh, rug.nl slash CF slash voice technology. Sign up for an information day, sign up for a mailing list. Um, and uh, if you're interested in joining the program, uh, just check it out. And uh, well, all the information is right there. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining me. And uh, well, it was a great talk with you. I enjoyed it too. Thanks, yeah, for, the, thank thanks for the invitation. It was really a pleasure. So, uh... That's it. You listen to another episode of Globalcast, the podcast of Campus Friesland bringing you a diversity of topics of our own researchers and lecturers. A big thank you to Matt Kaller and Esther Klabbers. We intend to be back somewhere soon. I'm Saskia. Stay tuned. Stay safe.